everyone and welcome to episode 64 of the retrospectors podcast is the oath in felgana james we finally make a return to a japanese rpg although thankfully not a traditional jrpg are you are you glad to be coming back to this genre is this uh is this what you expected well patrick you know i always love a good jrpg um i picked this game specifically because looking at videos of the boss fights reminded me of a game we're both quite fond of uh, fury which came out a few years ago a bit of a boss rush style game and this with its uh third person action combat kind of gave me those vibes going into it and i think for the most part you know i think i was on the money when i uh, picked it yeah i think um despite maybe technically it's got this moniker of being a jrpg it really isn't it's an action rpg that was released in japan so i'm very grateful if if this is the level of jrpg we have to do moving forward i think i'll be happy with anything you choose um james and i make up the retrospectors podcast each and every fortnight we play through classic and niche games of the past with the intention of figuring out if they're true classics that have stood the test of time this isn't a nostalgia based podcast we're not interested in appreciating these titles in the context in which they were released we just want to know are they worth your time to play today in and amongst all the brilliant titles that get released or are they outdated and outmoded and better relegated to a history lesson than being actually enjoyable to play uh so james chose east the oath in felgana it's a bit complicated where it falls on the greater timeline of east games there are many many of these games and it starts all the way back uh with the uh with the nes the nes uh it's a remake of east 3 wanderers from east and that was first released in 1989. This game was first released in 2005, but that was only in Japan. It was a Japanese release, so it was only available if you imported it, and that was for Windows. We finally got an English version in 2010 for the PSP, and the Windows version was later localized in 2012. So, so it was open to the wider English-speaking audience in 2010 if you owned a PSP. It was open to everyone in 2012 and uh, it wasn't until 2020 when full English voice acting was added to the game it's worth noting that even though it's a remake of the 1989 game it's only a remake in the sense that it takes the basic story beats of the characters gameplay wise it's completely different so it may as well be a completely different game so it's not even it's a change far more significant than the change from resi 1 to the resident evil remake for example it's it it, it is a completely different game even if it shares a lot of the same um story progression so describing east is a little odd it's got a very unique and different kind of camera perspective to what we're usually used to the best way i have to describe it is that it shifts between an isometric perspective which is fairly close to top down fairly zoomed out and a 2d perspective with depth something like streets of rage where 
you're where where the view is side on but there is depth and you can move up and down and it kind of shifts fairly freely between these two perspectives as you're moving around for the most part the macro level design as you're moving around the world is still kind of two-dimensional like you're still mostly moving left and right as you move through these levels but it does open up onto more 3d areas as you go um, the story of E starts with Adol, you're an adventurer, and you're returning to your mate's homeland. Uh, very quickly, it seems something has gone amiss, and monsters are appearing in the local quarry. You, as an adventurer, are well prepared to kill a lot of monsters, and in typical, you're an adventurer style, you're the one whose job it becomes to deal with the monsters, and inevitably, there's a bigger plot about ancient evil arising, and you've got to save the world, etc., etc., uh so james uh what is it you'd like to talk about first with east uh i think we'll go into more detail of the story a bit later to avoid spoilers it just on a basic level it's just you know fairly straightforward generic save the world ancient evil sort of stuff and we'll go into that later um was there something about the gameplay you wanted to start with yeah, well, I wanted to kind of start off about how this game controls and how this game feels to play, because this is mostly an action game, um, and you control Adol from this very zoomed-out perspective. Um, Adol can run, jump, and dash, and his attacks actually um, drag him quite far forward when he attacks. So, you know, most of the you know, non-boss gameplay of Aesoth in Filgano will have you, you know, in a room with a bunch of enemies. Um, and generally, you know, you'll just hold a button towards an enemy and just mash the attack button because you have quite a long, quite a long attack string. You know, you can do up to six attacks in a row and your attacks actually make you travel quite far with each movement. So in a lot of um, 3D kind of action games, I feel what happens is you walk up to an enemy and then you attack them with your character staying still. That's not really the case here in o East Oath in Felgana. What actually tends to happen is that you go like um, all over the screen as you're attacking. So you have very, you know, a lot of control over Adol's movement while he's moving around. So, you know, you can start on the left side of the screen and, you know, by the end of your six attacks, you could have zigzagged all over the room. Um, so I found this movement to be very fluid and actually quite enjoyable to control Pat. Um, in these action games, I'm kind of used to, you know, when my attack, I just have to sit there and stand. And it made, you know, progressing through the world feel really smooth to me because, you know, as I'm walking to my destination, I can be attacking enemies that whole time. I don't have to stop and, you know, fuck around. I just get to, you know, be free. Yeah, there's a lot of momentum to your attacks. And when you spam attack an enemy, you also effectively stun lock them if you can make every single attack hit, which isn't difficult. So a lot of what you're doing is spamming A on enemies, kind of pushing them up against a wall, stun locking them, and then moving on to the next one. I... I agree that you can zoom through these areas pretty quickly. Uh, the enemies you're facing don't have enormous health pools. Uh, they have fairly simplistic attack patterns. Usually each one of these basic enemies has exactly one attack with a fairly obvious tell. And after they've done their attack, they become completely vulnerable. Um, didn't you start to find these encounters fairly tedious as you progress? Because... Your typical dungeon probably, and this is just like a rough estimate, will probably have three enemy types. And over the course of the dungeon, you might fight each enemy type 
50 times so you know 150 200 enemies and you fight the same enemies over and over again because while the intrinsic feel of the combat uh is pretty good i have to agree with you uh i found it very got very boring very quickly when it stopped throwing new interesting enemy types at me so i can see where where you're coming from pat but like i have to disagree i actually found the combat to be really fun uh up until about like halfway through the game in these dungeons like i thought that you know if this was a different game with a much worse combat feel i would have started to be very bored uh with the basic enemies much quicker um but to me like you just move so fast and you can like get pretty good at like bunching up enemies with your attacks because not only are you like trying to get one enemy killed if you if you play it right you can bunch up a whole bunch and then you can like quickly demolish them and the game actually like kind of rewards you for doing this um when you kill enemies they drop these little orbs that give you temporary stat buffs you know stuff like extra strength or speed or even xp like there were times when i was earning you know four times experience by you know killing things fast enough so i found there was this like little sub game going on of me trying to play the game as fast as i could in order to like maximize the bonuses i was getting so i really liked that it kind of incentivizes you to play really aggressively and really fast you know this isn't a game where i took my time or at least i tried not to take my time um so you know and some of the later enemies do have quite deadly attack patterns like there was this part on um you go to this ice mountain and there are these spinning enemies and you have to kind of like jump up in the air and then drop attack them in order to you know stun them out of their spin so you can damage them safely and i found you know little things like that that spiced the gameplay up just enough that i was still able to enjoy the core gameplay loop um though i do have to admit like if there was more enemy variety and more enemies attack patterns during this kind of gameplay because i'd say that east is split up into two main gameplay components the boss fights and the you know the level design and if the level design had more enemies with interesting you know uh, attack patterns i think i would have enjoyed the game more for sure so I um I'm f- much much lower on this than you are. I think it got tedious very quickly, and I got bored with it almost immediately. It what it never descended into something like Lunar or Crystalis, where I was finding the experience like actively painful, like I was hating every moment. You're right that the essential gameplay and the control of your character is good enough that it never gets that bad. But I do think that it stopped being fun very quickly for me and I was sick of it very quickly to the point where I really kept thinking of Fury as I was playing this game because one of the things that Fury does is that it is only boss battles. It has no fighting of mooks, of random idiots. It's just just the boss battles. And while I'm not suggesting that East could just be boss battles because... I don't think the game was built from the ground up with that in mind. I think that on balance, I would have preferred uh, to have less time in the dungeons and have a greater percentage of my time engaging with these boss battles because the boss battles are what I enjoyed and this dungeon crawling I found tedious and dull. Not like I'm hating every moment, but you know, just 
I just felt like I had to get it out of the way to get to the good part of the game. Honestly, I felt like I spent like 50-50 of my time in the boss fights and in the dungeons, right? Like, I don't think the dungeons are particularly long, and I died a lot to these bosses, so... I reckon I spent, you know, a good... There's only, like, what, like, 10, 12 bosses? I thought that the dungeons were, like, snappy enough and that they introduced new enemies often enough that I wasn't, like, super upset about them. One big criticism I do have about them is that there was a couple of dungeons that I preferred much more than the others. Um, The main one being the Clock Tower, which features this, like, heavy platforming component to it, which I thought made the level design much more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I thought that when the level design was just, like, corridors with dudes in it, um, it was nowhere near as fun as stuff like the Clock Tower, which has all these moving platforms, or even the final level, which has, you know, these moving spikes that you have to jump over sometimes. I thought that they could have lent into that kind of design a lot more and it would have made the overall level design more engaging because you know to me um the clock tower was a genuinely great level that i loved um and i wished that i had enjoyed any of the other levels as much as it um so i think the level design like you said is kind of lacking overall here but to me kind of the core gameplay feel of the way adel controls is so good here that i enjoyed controlling him you know regardless of how mediocre the level design was i i know it's like a completely different video game but i'm i'm reminded of our previous episode where we were talking about doom right Because in Doom 2, you and I both agreed that the essential movement was enjoyable and the essential act of fighting demons was enjoyable. But the thing that elevated it to being an enjoyable experience versus a mediocre one comes in the level design. And unfortunately, like you, I think for the most part, the level design in East is not like actively poor in the sense that the game is actively trying to sabotage you or anything. It's just unimaginative. It's just mostly going left or right through fairly boring rooms where there are 20 enemies in between you and the exit to the screen that you're on. And so when the level design is mostly unimaginative, when there's a small enemy roster, when uh, the combat is kind of intrinsically simple and the enemies only really have one attack, it all adds up to a fairly uninspired, fairly boring experience for me. Um, I do acknowledge your point that you move through it pretty quickly. These dungeons aren't really long or anything. So even though I didn't enjoy these very much, I I just want to be fair and acknowledge that it wasn't a substantive part of the experience. But I want to make clear that this is not a good, good part of the game. It's not enjoyable. It's the part of the game you tolerate to get to the good part of the game for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think that... There was an attempt to spice things up by including a very minor element of exploration in the level design. Some of the levels, like the castle, I think they did quite well with this, and others, they kind of just put things in plain sight, and it was trivially easy to go, you know, double jump and then use an extra move to get over to them. I think that they could have done better here. Like, the combat is just so good, Um, and I think that, honestly, it's more than the way the level is structured it is to do with the enemies for me they are a bit too simple which is a really strange contrast to the boss fights which are quite intense um and we'll talk about that a lot um but the enemies kind of just like walk around and do one attack and while they do introduce like three or four new enemies every level you go to 
because each enemy kind of is so simple, they don't feel that significantly different from one another, apart from, you know, the couple that you really needed to uh, specifically um, plunge attack in order to cancel them out of their attacks. Those I thought were quite fun. Um, and there were a couple of enemies near the end of the game that you had to approach in different ways. But for the most part, they're largely like basically Mario enemies, right? They just kind of like walk at you, do one minor attack, and then, you know, they don't aggressively chase you or anything. Yeah, they just, and, um, you know, like you have the flying enemy monster and you deal with that by doing a jump and a wind attack. And then you have the monster that's kind of, a mo you know, the turret immobile monster and there's four versions of that and so on and so forth. And like you said, there's slight variations in how you approach them, whether it's, you know, waiting for them to charge or and then dodge or use a special attack to break their shell or whatever. But it never develops into anything truly interesting. It's just little little uh, wrinkles in the equation. James, I want to change pace slightly here and talk a bit about um, a structural thing. Um, and that's how the way healing works in this game, because I think it fairly dramatically impacts the experience and for me for the better ultimately so in east uh, oath of felgana there is no inventory healing you don't pick up healing items and use them as you go every time you go to a checkpoint which uh, also function as fast travel points uh you know once you're like i don't know a tenth or 20 percent of the way through the game uh all of your health gets immediately restored to full and then the only other way to get health as you move through these dungeons and move through the game is to kill enemies, which randomly drop HP items, and specific uh, destructible uh, objects in the environment will drop health as well. There's usually, I don't know, three or four of these scattered through each dungeon uh, sporadically. Uh, James, you, you tell me, what did you think of this healing system versus you know, something like Crystallis? which actually has a lot in common with this game. Um, this is really funny because I actually had a negative thing to say about um, the healing in this game. So on the face of it, I think this is great. Um, I think that killing enemies, just picking them up, not having to fuck around with the inventory is awesome. I think that this game is very snappy to play um, outside of the combat too like just like the act of just hitting monsters them dropping heals you picking them up that's snappy just when you get to a heal like a save point you just have to bump into it to heal to full health you don't have to press on it or anything like that doors you can just walk through them without pressing anything like every action in this game felt like it was trying to not waste your time um which really kind of upset me when I got to the later half of the game. Um, Patrick, we played on different difficulty settings. I believe you. we, we both started on hard, um, but you told me that you found the, you know, the levels to be kind of frustrating on hard, so you dropped it down to normal. Yeah, it was the... Um, it was the trash, the, just, just the mobs in Ilburn Ruins. Um, I will say that I may have been drastically underleveled or incorrectly geared at this point, and I misunderstood, you know, the the impact of the RPG sort of mechanics. So it could have been fine in the end, but at the time I was finding it intensely frustrating. So I dropped the difficulty down to normal. Yeah. So I persevered through the game on hard, and I finished mm -hmm. it on hard. Um, near the end of the game. Um... I found that taking, like, three hits from an enemy could almost kill me. 
Um, so something that happened to me a lot was that I would get like 10 minutes into one of these levels and then die. And that was very frustrating until I figured out the optimal way to play the levels, which I thought was kind of awful. Um, so I don't know if you explored Ilburn Ruins. And got um, the Spirit Cloak? Obtained... Yeah, the I got it. The Spirit Cloak? Yeah. Yes. So the Spirit Cloak, um, if you're standing still for about like eight seconds you'll slowly heal back up to full so it takes like it's like 20 seconds total of just standing still um and i was doing that like between every room almost near the end of the game which was like the exact opposite of this like snappiness that you're describing from just healing up from enemies uh once i gained a few levels in the given area i could do that again but like anytime i got to a new area i really had to like abuse that spirit mantle in order to progress and maybe that's you know just part of playing on hard um i don't know if you had to do that on normal but i thought that you know they they knocked it out of the park with the system that you're talking about and then this spirit mantle just encouraged me just to stand still for extended periods of time and i thought that was like the opposite of what i wanted yeah, that sounds awful. And I'm glad now that I went back to normal. And because that was the thing that was frustrating me at Ilburn Ruins, it was that it didn't feel like I could take very many instances of damage before I was forced to retreat. And so you kind of had to per either perfectly go through the dungeon, uh, taking basically no damage or taking only, you know, you, you could take seven instances of damage and then you had to return to the checkpoint. So uh, I... I, I didn't like that at all. When on the difficulty I was playing at, I could probably take up to like 15 instances of damage. So I used the spirit cloak, you know, occasionally, maybe two to three times on a given dungeon, but I could mostly get through with, you know, as long as I was playing properly without stopping to heal constantly. So, uh, yeah, on, on normal, it probably hits the right balance, uh, which, which I, which I appreciated on hard sounds a little stupid. Yeah, honestly, after finishing the game on hard, um, I think that I would not recommend people start on hard. I think that starting on normal for this game is a much better idea. Like, hard is proper hard. Like, some of these bosses took me several hours to beat, um, and that's fine, I'm okay with that. Um, but also some of these short, like, level sections also took, like, an hour or two sometimes. So I think that on balance, you probably want to start with normal when you're jumping into this one. It sounds like you're in for a better time. Although I do think that Patrick kind of probably compounded this issue for himself but through his uh, strong distaste <laughs> of uh, the act of grinding. Um, which I think this game actively encourages in some amounts, mostly due to the way that the XP, the, the levels are kind of um, sp spread from each other. This game has some like seriously exponential uh, level scaling. Like, uh, for example, if you get to a new area, it'll take you like five minutes to grind a level and then it'll take you like 10 minutes and then like half an hour and then you'll get to the next area and that loop kind of appears. And like every time you get to a new area, you rapidly shoot up in levels until you like kind of plateau for where you're at. Um, so I think that if you're not killing more enemies than it takes for you to just like get through an area then you're probably going to be quite under leveled for the bosses because the the levels are really really impactful like one level um for me would 
be the difference between finding a boss almost impossible to beating at first try sometimes um the 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 amount of like stats you get from one level is like incredible in this game uh it's really high it's similar with acquiring new pieces of gear as well like getting a new sword isn't a minor power boost it will triple to quadruple the time you know how how effectively you're dealing out damage to enemies it's absurd so james this seems like a good time to go into one of my big picture conceptual things about this game and its rpg systems yeah um everyone knows that i hate jrpgs everyone knows that i find a lot of these rpg mechanics distasteful so let me let me phrase this as an open-ended question for you to respond to rather than making an argument one way or another um do you think that oath of felgana if we stripped out all of its rpg systems uh if we stripped out the leveling up and the finding more powerful weapons to deal more damage just got rid of all of that and we instead just put uh adjusted the enemy and boss hp values uh and their damage output and our damage output uh just like in fury where there's no leveling up or anything it's just a set damage output dealt damage output received if we were to take all that out, do you think it would make Oath of Felgana a worse game? Or do you think it would even significantly impact the experience one way or the other? So I think that it kind of ultimately depends who you ask this question, right? Because I think there's a subset of players who strongly value this and I don't think we are either of these players, but there are these people who strongly value the idea of going on an adventure and getting stronger and, like, you know, fight, getting strong enough to fight the ultimate evil, right? Like, people who can really get into the flavor of the, you know, like, this kind of RPG setting, I think taking all that away kind of harms that kind of player's experience a lot. Um, for me, I honestly think I would have enjoyed the game more uh, if I could have just like had a set difficulty for every single encounter. I think that there were multiple points in this game where I was fighting a boss and I was like consistently getting it to like one third health and then out of frustration grinded a level and then beat it first try and was like I did like so much more damage to it this time just because you know and it's not even it's not even clear like what the recommended level for you to be at each boss's like i think if a boss had like a number next to its name when you encountered it that kind of would have eased my frustration but i found like so many times that i would just be like a bit higher or a bit lower than i should have been and it kind of ruined the difficulty of the boss for me so the reason the reason i ask is i had an encounter very similar to yours against the fire serpent uh you know the one you destroy its body bits bit by bit. I can't remember its name. So I um I didn't go and pick up the next weapon, which was uh like the next tier of weapon that was in the next area. I just tried to fight it. And I probably fought it for, I'd say, two and a half hours. Literally two and a half hours over multiple nights trying to beat this stupid snake. And every time I got to the last stage, I couldn't... It was too hard. I was, I was just taking so much damage. I was dying in seven or eight hits. Um, I went and picked up 
that sword after give, I was like, this is just too hard. Maybe I need to level up or I'm missing an item or whatever. I picked it up and I did it first try. My damage output literally tripled. Like I, I couldn't believe it. I was doing at best, like if I perfected my first phase, I did like a th- uh, hundred damage to it of its 1100 HP bar. Um, my first attempt with this new weapon, uh, you know, wasn't even a great first attempt. I did like 400 damage in its in in one in one stage, and it really really annoyed me. And listen, I should have explored and given up earlier, but I thought it was the kind of game where a good understanding of the basic mechanics would reward me enough that I wouldn't need to you know level up or get the next tier of weapon. But that's just not true. There are times if you're not grinding where these difficulties push beyond the boundaries of a good challenge to unfair and then there are times where having too much experience or too strong a weapon flip it in the other direction so i agree with you james i far prefer a preset difficulty level and i don't think these rpg mechanics when they're not facilitating player choice and different builds really serve any purpose because just getting stronger in a linear fashion when your enemies and are getting stronger at the same time is kind of like the illusion of a power increase instead of an actual power increase i'm kind of torn because there were times when i leveled up and then suddenly i was killing enemies really fast in the regular levels where i thought this feels really good like um because I play a lot more, I feel like I play a lot more RPGs than you do because, like, upgrading my weapon, mm-hmm. like, I would never ever go into a boss without, like, upgrading a weapon if I have the option. Um, like, it's just, like, super on my mind all the time. Like, I'm always scouring for materials so I can, like, level up the weapon at the blacksmith and I'm trying to, like, buy the new sword as soon as I can. So I never ran into that problem. I think um, um, I think this is my Dark Souls bias talking because, for me, the joy of Dark Souls isn't getting strong enough to kill lower enemies in, long, in one hit. It's improving to the point where enemies that were once fearsome foes are no longer fearsome because your abilities as a player have improved. And I think that's probably the fundamental difference between me and people who are a fan of these RPG mechanics. I want to get better as a player. I don't want my character to have bigger numbers. Yeah, I think getting bigger numbers feels really good. Um, But I think that getting bigger numbers feels good when you you planned to get those bigger numbers. Like, when... You getting bigger numbers is more effort on your part than just simply fighting enemies. Like, if I, you know, spend a lot of time figuring out which weapon to use and how to upgrade it, and then that gives me big numbers, that feels really good. I feel smart. Um, Upgrading weapons in this game is, like, so boring. Uh, You buy a new weapon from a shop. There's, you know, there's one shop, and they have a bunch of weapons, and sometimes you find a weapon... And then, you know, you'll find a weapon that has 40 strength, right, as its stat. And then you can upgrade it to get plus 2 strength, so now it's 42 strength. And you can upgrade each sword, like, a couple times. That's it. Like, you get the tiniest stat increase, which is, like, at the end of the game, when your sword is, like, 90 strength and you're getting plus 2 strength, it's, like, so boring. 
Um, I think these RPG systems work better when you have agency over them. Like, there is not a lot here. Um, I don't think it impacted me as negatively as it did you, because I just kind of, because I liked, like, the general fighting more than you did, I probably just, you know, did more of it than was necessary just because it was fun sometimes. Um, so I was generally at the right level, but near the end of the game, there was times where I definitely had to grind. Um, and... You know, grinding's a bad thing for me if the act of grinding is unfun. Um, I didn't really mind the grinding in this game. I found grinding in this game to be, you know, pretty cruisy. Like, it would take me, like, five minutes of doing combat that I kind of, you know, enjoyed already. But to get back to your main point, um, I don't think that the RPG systems in this game are super interesting. If you just strip them out of the game, honestly, it's probably a cleaner experience overall. The the only point I have, because I want to be fair here, to go out to bat for this system, uh, it does mean that if you are finding a boss too tough, there is an easy way to get out of it. You just go and grind a few levels and then you can face roll it. And I think that it's kind of, it's yeah. it's almost like a, a customizable difficulty. It's like, this is too hard. This is what I'm going to do. This solves the problem. Uh, but again, I think that would work better if the bosses told you what the recommended level was. Yeah, that that would that I think that's a great idea. If because that means that for people like you and I who want a, an enjoyable challenge, we know what you know what level the developer intends as an enjoyable challenge. So I, I think that's a very simple suggestion, but actually an excellent one, and I think it would have helped a lot. Yeah. And I kind of agree with you, there were, like, the last boss, I did end up grinding a couple levels, because it was really tough. Um, and, you know, fair enough, the last boss can be super tough, that's that's fine by me, and I'm fine to, you know, have to grind a bit to beat it. Um, especially when I'm playing on hard. So, there were times where I got enjoyment out of leveling up and doing more damage, but there were also times where, you know, I felt like... I had reasonably gotten good at fighting a boss and I was just not beating it because of raw numbers rather than player ability. All right, James, let's um let's cut to a music break. Oh, this is good. This is a good this is a good thing to do because this game has excellent music, uh, in my opinion, Patrick. I'm really excited for this music break. Um, how did you feel about it? Um, I really like the music, particularly all of the metal inspired tracks it's a very it's kind of got some what i you know generically refer to as jrpg adventuring music and those ones i just there's something about the tone of those tracks you know like this wistful feel of adventure that i just cannot get into the whole i find it all icky and not not particularly interesting so even if those parts of the soundtrack are artfully composed or whatever i'm just never going to enjoy them and that was true for luna and that was true for crystalis people love these soundtracks and i understand why but they i just bounce right off them the part of the soundtrack i enjoyed which is you know half at least half of the soundtrack are all these power metal ballads and there are some great guitar solos and they're fantastic it's just legitimately enjoy uh enjoyable power metal so um I'm high on the soundtrack. I don't love every part of it, but I admit that's more to do with my 
personal tastes than any objective failings with the soundtrack. Yeah, I liked those but those bits that you said you didn't like, I did like. And I think that overall this is like a standout soundtrack. Like this is one of the best ones we've covered this year. I wasn't really expecting it to be as good as it was, honestly. It goes ham in some of those power metal tracks. Um, and we haven't really done a soundtrack like this before. And I was really glad that we got to cover it. Um, which one did you like the most? So my favorite soundtrack was probably Searing Struggle, but it was hard to choose because I liked every single metal track in the soundtrack. Searing Struggle is the one I spent the most time with because that was that stupid snake boss and it was a Searing Struggle. (laughs) I'll tell you that much until Uh. I upgraded and it suddenly wasn't such a struggle. But it says something meaningful that I listened to this track over and over and over again for hours on end and it's still my favorite so that should give you some idea of how enjoyable it was and at no point while playing this game did i ever turn the music off it was on from start to finish and i never felt the need to so this is searing struggle That was Searing Struggle, and I've got to say, even like, after I finished this game, and then, you know, I was sick, so we delayed the episode for a week, I was actively coming back and listening to the soundtrack on, you know, on YouTube, you know, when I didn't have to be, I thought it was so good. Um, So that was also my favorite part of the soundtrack, Um, it plays in the, you know, the fiery caves down below, uh, and it, it was just brilliant, I love it to bits. 
great stuff overall. Okay, James, should we um should we talk about the bosses a little bit? Yes. So this is the best part of the game. Um, I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, the boss fights in this game, in my opinion, are mostly quite good. Um, something that stood out to me was quite how well you know their patterns were designed and how well telegraphed most of them were. Um, I found fighting almost all of the bosses to be enjoyable, with the exception of that you know that fire boss that you mentioned before. Um, but all of the others, and there was a couple of standouts. Um, I thought were pretty decent. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about what makes good boss design for you and I, James, and you can chip in with any extra elements that you like. So firstly, you want to have well-telegraphed attacks. Uh, you want the enemies to have a tell that an attack is coming. If an attack comes out of nowhere or it's unclear what the tell is, then it isn't well-telegraphed and it's annoying because you don't know how to react to it when you see that tell. Uh, you want a varied attack moveset and this is important it needs to be semi-randomized because if it's not semi-randomized and the boss isn't cho choosing between a few attacks at a time uh, then you could just memorize the that boss's attacks from start to finish and all the bosses in east always have these uh well they have a wide move pool of attacks and it's usually like six to seven uh, and they're decently randomized to the point where you need to be prepared to deal with every single one over the course of a fight. Uh, you want small windows to dodge. And, you know, depending on how difficult it will be, you'll have different windows. But you want to provide challenge to the player. You want to not be able to just do anything in order to avoid attack. You want to have a specific response or one or two specific responses to avoid an attack. And um, the other point I had was you want to have an escalation. Uh, you, this isn't always necessary, but I think these fights are always more enjoyable when there's like a second stage where it goes from one to another and the stakes increase. And I have to say on every single one of these points, Issa's bosses are magnificent. They all follow this formula and they're all, even the ones that are like kind of okay, like or mediocre, uh, you know, the, sorry, the bottom half of these bosses, like the bottom four, are still good boss fights. So the excellent is consistent across the entire game. I think that's something that's important as well is that when you have a boss that has like seven attacks, um, something that I think is really cool is when there are like stages of proficiency at dodging these attacks, right? So for example, a boss has an attack um, and, you know, I'll get hit by it five times and then eventually I'll learn to dodge it. And then, you know, while I'm struggling to learn one of the other mechanics, I'm still getting better at dodging this first attack to the point where, like, the boss can now do this attack and I can dodge it while still attacking the boss because I've gotten that good at dodging it. So... I think that when you have lots of mechanics like that, and I think these bosses do, where you can continuously improve, you know, even if you've mastered part of the boss fight, it can feel really satisfying. Like, I really, the bosses I liked the most were the ones by near the end, I was almost able to attack them constantly. But, you know, because you have so much control over Adol, you get to attack and dodge at the same time most of the time. It feels really intense and really rewarding when you manage to pull it off perfectly. Yeah, and the the other cool thing is we, we didn't really touch on it, but uh, over the course of the game to round out your attacks, you get access to three types of magic. 
And those three types of magic are a projectile fireball, a AoE whirlwind spin, and a uh, and a charge that also gives you iframes. It's like a um, you charge forwards, you deflect enemy attacks, get iframes, and do a bit of damage to enemies. And as you progress through these boss fights, every single one of those magic attacks will be weaved into your strategy to most efficiently kill these bosses. Uh, the whirlwind attack, the the charge being the most useful, and then the fireball uh, is used specifically in certain boss fights, and some enemies are weak to fire as well. Some of the bosses and, took a lot of extra damage from fire. Um, was yeah, the main yeah. Thing, yeah, yeah. Although it didn't really like, it doesn't really. I feel like the other two were more impactful in how they affected your strategy because there are specific uh, patterns that will require a whirlwind attack or a or a iframe charge on the enemy to most effectively deal with them like the one i needed to use the charge on a lot was the elephant mastodon mech uh <laughs> that one was i that fight was me dying a lot until i figured out the power of the charge and then i used a lot to carry me to victory i don't think i i think i used the wind mostly for that one but that's kind of cool because you know lots of these patterns require to use to use something to kind of mitigate getting hit but it's kind of there's like this level of freedom you have you get to choose and make your own mistakes and choose how you end up ultimately fighting these bosses um just a note on the wind, I felt that the wind attack was really fun to use. It does a lot of, like, it spins around and does lots of hits to enemies, it keeps you hovering in the air, so it's like, it's super useful at, like, almost all stages of the game once you get it. Um, and I loved, like, use, I, like, if I had to swap off it, I felt kind of bad, because I, like, liked using it so much, so I oftentimes would try to, like, force certain mechanics, like, to figure out how I could use the wind over the charge just because i liked spinning around and staying in the air for so long yeah that's that's an excellent point um this is something that hollow knight uh does really well as well where it turns your exploration abilities into combat abilities and they work hand in hand and they're multifunctional and the whirlwind attack is exactly that uh it's a aoe attack that's useful against bosses and grouped up mobs but it also greatly increases your mobility so i completely agree with you james my least favorite boss fight was that flame serpent that you were talking about before um i felt that it had a lot of health even for me with my upgraded stuff um what was your favorite boss fight? I'm curious. So my favorite boss fight, and I, before the show started, I said, I reckon we have the same favorite boss, and we're about to find out, was definitely one called Death Falion. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh, that was actually my second least favorite boss. <laughs> oh my god, Death Death Falion was my favorite. So Death Falion is very aggressive, has all of these interesting mixed attack patterns that require good positioning and he changes between different modes of vulnerability uh so he's vulnerable to either sword attacks fire wind or earth and the thing that i loved about him is he used a lot of these attacks where he'd throw swords up in the ground which restricted your mobility but certain attacks are only good in certain situations like the charge you need to be on top of them and the wind attack you need to be on top of them 
And my favorite thing about this boss fight, as opposed to all the others, is it felt like I had the most freedom to fight the boss in in the way... Sorry, I should explain this because it, it sounds counterintuitive. I felt I had the freedom to engage this boss irrespective of the attack patterns it was throwing out, even though I had to use a specific type of attack against it at specific times. So... I had to use fireballs at it against it at this juncture, but its attack patterns were such that it was less about waiting for them to finish a punishing attack pattern, finding the window to counterattack, and more about freeform throwing in attacks at whatever time I, I I chose to choose an opening. Yeah, so I was actually going to bring this up. The The boss fights I enjoyed the most consistently were the ones that I could attack a lot. Like, I felt like the bosses for me fell into these two categories. There were these ones where you would spend like up to a minute dodging and then you would have a window where you could attack them like five times and then mm -hmm. you would go back to dodging. And then there were these other ones where you you could attack them constantly, but, but to attack them constantly, you had to be good enough to dodge their attacks and attack them. Yep. And those ones were the ones I liked the most. Um, the one I liked the most, I'm not going to name it because it's a bit of a story spoiler, but the second last boss... Um, you can basically attack constantly if you're dodging its moves at the same time, and I really yep. enjoyed that a lot. Um, it's got this really funny... I wouldn't say funny, but it's got this um, like this like kind of hype soundtrack playing while you're fighting it too, and it has a really fun phase too. Um, I... Yeah, I liked that one a lot. Death Falion, so, so tell me why you hated Death Falion then, because I would say Death Falion's exactly the same in that you have to... In that it's constantly vulnerable to the, to the element it's vulnerable to, and you have to find your windows to close in and get the damage in. So there's this one major criticism I have over the game's, like, combat system, um, is that... When you get hit, it doesn't feel like you become... Like, you, if you get knocked down, it doesn't feel like you become instantly invulnerable until you get up. It feels like there's this, like, second window where you can take, like, three to four hits before the invulnerability <laughs> kicks in. And I felt that in the Death Falion fight, this was incredibly noticeable. And so many times, like, I'd walk into spikes and then suddenly, like get hit by three attacks and then i'd be dead like um yep. whereas other other enemies i felt like when you get hit it knocks you down and then it's fair you get to stand up and then you know then you can get hit again but i felt like it almost felt kind of janky when you got hit multiple times in quick succession i, I don't know it didn't feel quite right to me and it happened like non-stop in that fight for me it yeah, I mean, it happened to me as well. And I think that's the fight where that mechanic is the most obvious. There's either, it's either what you said or the iframe windows are so small that you can just take multiple instances of damage from these attacks. But I just found that to be a satisfying challenge. Uh, you had to... Uh, you had to anticipate those attacks where they threw up spikes in the floors. And I found that the... I, I, I liked the way it restricted my movement. I, I thought it created interesting challenges to get that damage in. And it's stuff like the whirlwind attack is very strong, but you're kind of stuck in the whirlwind attack when you commit to mm. it. And so you had to 
pick the window to do the whirlwind attack where you weren't going to take follow-up damage and you had to be aware of the risks of going to it the the later i moved through the game the more and more i was using the charge that gave me iframes iframes yeah yeah because i found that 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 was overwhelmingly the best strategy against a whole lot of bosses and i liked the way i was kind of i kind of had to use my full arsenal of magic and attacks in the right way at the right time because the the boss is cycling through his full move set of attacks every time as he's you know flashing between vulnerable to each states so you had to come up with a strategy for each and every element against each and every stage of its attack so i'm i'm sorry you didn't enjoy it as much as i did james but uh but yeah i uh i love that boss second second lowest is unfair i'd say it's probably like fourth lowest i feel like the dog and the the second dragon were mediocre you mean seath <laughs> Seath? Uh, yeah. Uh, I no, was... no, 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 no. Actually, the Ice Dragon is like one of my top three, actually. I really liked that because I found a strategy that let me basically wait on it nonstop. And I found it had this move where it would like pick you up and then drop you from the sky and you had to dodge mm-hmm. these like stalactites from the side of the side of the screen. But I got good enough at dodging the initial grab. Um, which was like a pretty tight timing window on hard that it felt really rewarding. So I just got to avoid that mechanic entirely. You know, you could um, charge into those things as you were falling to yeah, yeah, the damage. you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, honestly, yeah. I thought it was a good fight. No, the dragon I meant was the one where it's got the the bouncy bridge. Um, that oh, one was right. okay. Um, I found figuring out whether it was like bouncing the front, the foreground, or the background to be kind of like weird um but it was it was fine like it was still good i think that i think that even though i didn't like like the fire dragon um i don't think it's like a bad boss fight i think it's just like a mediocre one i think that the floor here is mediocre and that like the best bosses are really really good um one of the bosses is uh, you fight against these three harpies or like, and the idea is like there's three of them and they each have their own patterns. Um, and as you kill them, they get stronger. The, the ones that are still alive get stronger and power up the ones they have until the final one by itself is super powerful. Um, how did you fight this one? Because I, I, what I did in the end was I tried to get them all down equally and then kill them all with a spin attack at the end. Yeah, um, I did exactly the same thing. The same although thing? it wasn't it wasn't that clean. Like I got them both to roughly ten percent health, and then I'm like, I'm gonna kill the two ones that require magic attacks first, and then I'm gonna use my sword to finish off the last one because that's easy. I can just run up to and hit it. And once I got them all to about ten percent, I was able to successfully uh, kill them all. But that was that was a fantastic boss fight, and it was really fun um that that's another fight where you can dodge an attack freely like you just choose how risky you how many risks you want to take so yeah i I really enjoyed that one um james we just to return to something you said earlier this idea of you have these boss fights where you have to wait for a long time dodging attacks and then you get damage in um i basically agree with you this was one of the um one of the points i i wrote down um the frequency of the windows of vulnerability. And I was thinking about this, and I think the thing that, you know, Souls and Fury do, and, you know, even something like Sekiro, is that in Sekiro, 
you are still kind of doing the same thing. You have windows where you can attack them, then they attack you back, then you attack them. But the windows of attacking versus being attacked are like two or three seconds long. And you're just constantly swapping places where you can attack them for a bit and then you dodge. And over the course of a one-minute window, you might swap from attacking to defending, you know, 30 times or 20 times. I think the problem with these other ones is that in a minute window, you might spend five to 10 seconds attacking and spend 50 seconds dodging. And this isn't like fundamentally unenjoyable. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's not awful. It just ends up being less interesting than the boss fights where you get to, you know, freely, freely wail. I wouldn't even say interesting. Like, it's almost like there's dumb fun in being able to attack, right? Like, it feels good to be able to mash attack towards the enemies and see the health bar go down. Like, it, it feeds my, you know, it's some primal desire inside me um it's really enjoyable um so it's not that i i also kind of agree i don't dislike the bosses where i had to do a lot of dodging like uh the second chester fight for example you did Mm. a lot of dodging but it was a good fight so you know i still enjoyed it overall um and you know i just wish that maybe there were more windows where i could have gotten good and got free hits on him um if i was better did you uh, ever play fury on the second playthrough on fury difficulty james i think i try i think i beat the first boss on fury i did not beat the whole game for sure so one of the things that i love about fury is that you kind of have this thing early on when you first start playing the game when you start attacking enemies a lot or at the wrong time when you shouldn't be attacking them, they'll parry you and then they'll smack you back. And it you're like, oh, okay, I know not to attack them in those windows now because we're moving to the next phase of the attack. But on your second playthrough where you're more familiar and comfortable with the mechanics, you realize that you can parry their parries. And sometimes they'll parry your parry of their parry and it'll go back and forth three or four times. But you can actually just attack bosses like 90% of the time (laughs) in your playthrough through Fury if you were good enough to nail the parries of the parries of the parries. And that was something that Othofel Ghana lacks. Uh, There are windows where if you try to attack them, the enemies will basically unload a uh, untelegraphed zero wind-up counter-attack on you and there's nothing you can really do about that so mm-hmm. you kind of just and the Chester fight's a good good time of that and I think that a lot of my problems with these bosses that I was having was attacking them when I wasn't supposed to and then yeah. I'd get myself in trouble and then I'd sit back have a think I'd find that window of vulnerability and then I'd just keep attacking them in that window and i zoomed through the boss fight pretty quickly this is very specific instance of this that i found kind of aggravating is in the first phase of the final boss Mm -hmm. the final boss is floating in the air and it's got a glowing thing on its head that you need to throw a fireball at um and one of its attack patterns makes these ice platforms that rise up into the air so you can stand on the ice go up into the air and then you'll be high enough to throw a fireball at the glowy bit that's cool um its other two attack patterns are this one where it throws this flame blast close to the ground and another one where it shoots these little orbs that like kind of follow you a bit Mm -hmm. um 
So what what you'd usually do is you dodge the fire in the orbs until it finally did the ice attack, so you could go up into the air and knock it down. But if it spawned the ice and then immediately followed it up with the orbs, you couldn't stay on the ice platforms because you'd take like a million damage because the ice platforms are tiny and you just opens yourself up. So it kind of feels like you lost the lottery in that situation, right? Like here's the window and now, because I watched people play this boss on like Nightmare and Inferno and they were doing the same thing I was doing, which was when they did the ball, they would just not try. It's interesting because that definitely happened to me but not very frequently like maybe like 20 10 to 20 percent of the time and i wonder if it's because the boss pattern attacks were a bit slower because it almost always followed up the ice platforms with a flamethrower attack so maybe it didn't have time to cycle into the next attack on normal difficulty so i was always able to get it across it wasn't that it cycled it was that it would just immediately do it after like it it almost felt like a bug i was like no way this is real because it felt so bad whenever it happened because sometimes it would do like six or eight of these other patterns before it would finally do the ice thing Mm. and then if that ice thing was a fake ice thing as i thought of them it felt so bad because you just spent like three minutes without being able to attack the boss at all. Yeah, that's um, that's super interesting because like I said, overwhelmingly it just did the flamethrower attack after the ice attack. Uh, so it didn't end up being a major problem for me. Although the one or two times it did happen, I was like, what the fuck? And then I'd I just... say it was like one in three times for me. Like it was, wow, okay. it was in the minority, but it happened like enough to be really annoying. And that's kind of annoying because I thought that phase two and three of the final boss were really good. Phase two was so hard. Phase two was tough. Like you, you the though you basically have to attack these hands that are coming up and down and slamming down, while there's also a laser grid that will damage you as it slowly moves across the screen, and. Finding the window where you won't be damaged by anything but can still output damage is very difficult, but it's not obnoxious because you don't actually have to do too much damage to the hands before it will let you move on to the next phase. It's kind of probably like two or three full attacks will will let you move yeah. to the next phase. So it, it's, it's hard and difficult, but it felt like a good challenge. So yeah... Phase 2 was great. Also, fight Phase 3 was my favourite phase in any boss fight in the whole game. Like, if if I had enjoyed Phase 1 and 2, I would have liked the final boss. Sorry, I did enjoy... If I had enjoyed Phase 1 as much as I enjoyed, like, Phase 2 and Phase... Especially Phase 3, which was, like, so fun, I would have thought it was being my top 3, but that Phase 1 was so annoying. So, can I ask you strategy-wise what you did for Phase 3? Because... At first, I was really struggling with it uh, when I was positioned at the back of the screen because I figured I wanted to give myself as much time as possible. But then when I moved up really close, uh, I found it much easier because it the the time it took to deal damage to it was a lot shorter. We should we should explain how this works before I tell you. Uh, so, so spoilers for the very final fight part of the final fight of the game. Um, but basically, you you play tennis with the boss with this huge energy ball. 
So it throws it towards you and you have to hit the energy ball back at it and then it'll hit it at you. And every time it bounces between you, it gets faster and faster and faster until finally one of you drops the tennis ball and takes damage. Um, on top of this, there's also mechanics you have to dodge while doing this. So there is a vortex that will appear on the ground that will try to suck you into it. And if you get sucked in, you probably just die, I think. Um, so you have to run away from the vortex while also trying to hit the hit the tennis ball back. And then the other thing it'll do is it'll spawn this little sprinkler of bullets, basically, that'll you know shoot out this huge spiral of bullets that you have to walk between as you hit them back. Difficult to dodge, not, not easy. It's not like a, a it, it kind of curves, so. You, it's hard to focus on dodging that and hitting the tennis ball at the same time. Yeah, I, I well, once I beat when on my final attempt when I beat the boss, I did manage to like dodge all of them. I think um, so. It's very fair, but yeah, it's really hard. But I, I love. See, I'm a big fan of um, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, and the final boss in that game also has a tennis attack. Um, and I, I remember, I always remember that fight very, very fondly. So I was extremely happy. Um, when the final boss here also had one. See, the thing that I was reminded of was the corpse and Binding of Isaac, because it's got a similar attack. That's very recent. Yeah, yeah, it's very recent, but that was the thing. So, James, tell me, did you get up close or sit back? Because when I was sitting back, I was struggling more than when I got up close and ricocheted the ball back faster. So what I would do is I would stand near the back until, like, the vortex kind of spawns on top of you, so I'd wait uh. for it. So so then I could walk forward and do what you were doing, which is, like, being as close as possible and just mashing attack. Because so you, you attack could, um, so fast that you probably won't drop it. You could jump to avoid the claw attack. So uh, I don't think you got stuck in as long as you jumped at the right time. So that's what oh, okay. I ended up using, yeah. Yeah, I think I only got sucked in like once or twice and I died both times, so I never figured out that you could dodge it. Um, mm -hmm. But it was good. It was a great way to end the game. Yeah, and I, I agree. The bosses all at the end of the game are quite good. I thought that the dog boss fight was kind of whatever. I wasn't really yeah, impressed by that. Yeah, it was kind of whatever. Yeah. Um, the elephant Macedon fight caused me huge issues at first. Like I, I had no <laughs> idea what to do until... Because it... I kept trying to get in and do damage to it. And whenever I was getting in, trying to whirlwind behind it, I'd get mines dropped on me. The missiles would, would chase me. So every time I got there, I was having to run, then run away from the missiles. The missiles were really hard to dodge. E like everything. But then I um, fully charged up my my Earth Gem battering ram and just did drive-bys on it. And that way I could do damage to it without being stuck in place. I just mm -hmm. did that enough times, focused on dodging, and I was finally able to beat it. It was very difficult to dodge that one. Um, one boss that I wanted to talk to you about was, and I haven't seen this done in a game before, um, and it actually added to my enjoyment of the boss fight a heap, was there's this boss deep below the ground, and the first phase is this worm, right? And it like burrows underground and does all these attacks. And then you kill the worm. And phase two is actually a completely different boss um, that fights completely differently. And I've never seen that done before where you fight two bosses in quick succession like that. Like usually, you know, a boss will transform or, you know, do something funky like that. But I've never actually seen one that just 
is completely separate like that. And I found that boss to be quite fun because, you know, it felt like sometime, like when I was fighting like Chester, for example, once I was good enough to get to phase two, phase one always felt like I was retreading my steps and just wasting my time almost. Whereas with this boss, because I was going back to a completely different boss, it felt good again. Um, I don't know if it, that, you know you felt that way. I uh, I see what you're saying, but mechanically, I found it not not that interesting. The worm is just not very aggressive. You can just jump over its attacks, then attack back. And the whirlwind mm-hmm. made quick work of the minions it was spawning. And then the second phase was the definition of a dodge its attack until it's got its one window of vulnerability and then you attack it. So while I like the idea, it, this is something that happens in Dark Souls 3, uh, the Sister Frida fight. It's got three distinct phases and they all are very different uh, where you first off fight like a stealthier version of Sister Frida. Then it's you're fighting two enemies at once and then she just becomes absolutely fucking deadly and aggressive. So I see what you're saying, but intrinsically that fight just wasn't that mechanically interesting. So it was fine, but uh, I didn't think it was that good. Okay, I quite like that one. Um, yeah, but on on the whole, uh, I think it's pretty clear that we both really enjoyed the bosses in this game, right? Like, I thought they did a really good job. Um Honestly, some of the better boss fights I've played in a game, it was good. Yeah, so I would rate these boss fights below something like Souls. Uh, well, you know, I'd rate it below the good the good Souls bosses. There's some bad ones. I would rate it, you know, below Fury. I would rate it below Fury too, yeah. But not that far. And, and that's the thing I want to really bring up. Like, my favorite games often the, my favorite like action games the thing that they're known for and the thing that they're famous for are their boss fights so i'm I, the pedestal that i'm comparing it to is literally the highest possible standard in my mind so the fact that this game is just a little bit below them is a very high standard of praise these boss fights are excellent they're really enjoyable they're not as perfect as our modern counterparts but they're really not that far off so so great great work with these boss fights Absolutely. Um, let's take one more music break and then we can move on to, you know, some story and graphical things and then we can wrap up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so the song that I chose, I also really liked the like the power ballady themes in this song. So I chose another one because we really haven't got to uh, cover this kind of music too often here on the show. Um, and I chose the theme from Veilsting Castle, which, uh, you know, I liked the Searing Struggle that you chose a lot. Um, this was definitely the runner up for my favorite song. Song. I think it uh, switches between a few little, you know, musical bits and it's just overall really fast, aggressive, hard. I fucking loved it. So this is Vale Stingcastle.
so that was Valstein Castle. I thought it was brilliant, just like, you know, almost all of the soundtrack in this game, honestly. Um, though I did have a couple of points um, about the bosses that I just remembered during the music break that I wanted to bring up. The main one uh, was that how easy it was to retry bosses after failing. Uh, when you die, a menu comes up and it says retry or exit. And when you press retry, there's no like loading screen or anything. It just instantly starts the boss fight again. So you'd only ever spend like less than a second between attempts. I, I really felt that this added to my enjoyment of the game like a lot. Like if this game, I had to run back to the boss like in Dark Souls every time and watch this little cutscene beforehand, I would have been much, much lower on the game uh, because it's so easy to retry fights. I felt like you just got to spend as much time as possible doing what you wanted to do in this game, which is fighting the bosses. Yeah, in the same way that death comes fast and frequent in difficult platformers like Celeste and Super Meat Boy, uh, the instant retry does a lot to erase the pain of death. Because if you can just instantly get stuck in with no time wasted, it feels a lot less bad. So if you're going to kill the player this easily, this frequently, this fast retry system is perfect. So I uh, completely agree with you, James. It was a big... Big uh, plus yeah, to the Yeah, and, like, in terms of not wasting your time, like, this game has instant load times and save times. Uh, you know, you heal instantly by bumping into the, the checkpoints and you go through into doors super quick. I, I thought this game tried its very best to not waste your time, um, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, the only thing it could have done further was removing the RPG elements. Then it would have been wasting my time <laughs> even less. But... Even then, I have to admit, I have to admit and agree with you. If this is as bad as a Japanese RPG game gets in terms of being grindy, then I can probably live with yeah. this. <laughs> this is this is within my level of tolerance. So uh, I I don't really have any major complaints in that regard. And I I agree with you, James. This game does go out of its way to make things smooth and easy for the player. Well, you've said a lot of nice things about this game, so did you want to start blasting its story? Yeah, the the story is... Uh, so, firstly, uh, full spoilers, I'll be talking about every aspect of the story. So if you really want to enjoy this story unspoiled, we recommend just skipping ahead a little bit. Um, I will say to those people, the story is nothing special. But uh, spo spoiler warning. So... So at a baseline level, the story is generic cliche garbage. That's that's the baseline level here. You're an adventurer. There are four statues which house an ancient evil. There's a literal mustache twirling villain with a sneer in his voice. Uh, it's very uninspired from the get-go. But the thing that really t and I, I think I think that goes without saying it's it's uninspired cliche garbage and that's that's the baseline level we're dealing with here but it kind of got me off so I should ask you James before I get on to my greater point of criticism do you agree D did you think there was anything uh, interesting about this story that elevated it beyond cliche ultimately I found the story mostly inoffensive but mostly extremely generic. Um, I felt like this is like, you could use this as a case study 
um, for like generic fantasy, you know, heroes saves the world from an ancient evil plots. It was like, it was so cookie cutter in almost every aspect, apart from maybe one of the characters slightly did some interesting things, but not really, um, which was Chester. Um, I... I found it inoffensive, but I didn't feel like I got any enjoyment from the story. It's just too simple and too quaint. Like, I feel like maybe if I had played this game when I was like, you know, like 13, maybe 10, I would have been completely fine and probably even got really gotten into it. Um, I think that I've just like grown past this kind of story. The, none of the characters were super interesting. Um, it's just about going on an adventure and saving the world and that's it. And, you know, some people will enjoy that, and I don't, like, for those people... If you can call them people. <laughs> I don't think there are, like, anything, there's I don't, there's nothing to me that's, like, offensively bad if you're the kind of person that would enjoy this story. Let, let me get to the offensively bad bit, where I started, you know, yelling at my computer screen, I was so upset. Okay. So, Chester is, like, the uh, secondary antagonist of the story, so... Chester and his sister Elena used to be on this island. When they were young, the Count ordered the island genocided because the, it would bring the Count power. So Chester decides that the logical way to deal with this scenario is to basically kill and murder all the people who lived in the Count's keep by releasing a monster like this evil gas using these monstrous idols that were also used to genocide his people as revenge. So at this point, you're probably thinking, well, Chester probably doesn't succeed in that, right? Otherwise, he'd just be incredibly evil because he's just murdered hundreds and hundreds of innocent people also that plan doesn't make a lot of sense because why would killing innocent people who had nothing to do with the attack on his people actually you know come up to any sort of revenge this count is obviously an evil mustache twirling count who doesn't have a fond attachment to these people in any meaningful way wouldn't it be better to go after his family or loved ones, you know, if you want to make an eye for an eye, but whatever. Ch Chester's plan, I don't think, makes any sense on a basic level, and I think it outs him as being just as psychotic and evil as the Count, really. But then you've got this big kind of redemption arc for Chester that I strongly disagree with. Chester has no room for redemption. He's a mass murdering psychopath and he should have gone in jail. And it makes me so fucking angry the way Alina treats him. Alina should fucking shoot him in the head. He's obviously an evil mass murderer psychopath, but she keeps forgiving him and saving him. And it's really icky the way that she treats him. So my main problem with this story is Chester and Alina. I hate Chester. I hate Alina. I think that their characters and the, the things that these characters do don't make sense. And I think that giving any kind of room for redemption for Chester is absolutely disgusting and unforgivable. His redemption basically involves him dying. I was okay with that. I kind of agree with you that it's completely nonsensical for the town and for Alina to forgive him for, you know, killing all the people in the castle, right? Like, 
if, if he had just gone after the Count, and, you know, I would have been, like, if he had just, you know, brutally killed the Count and taken his revenge, sure, go for it. I, I couldn't care about that. Uh, I agree with you that the bits with, the, you know, the whole castle being turned into undead monsters, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's fine. It's a fine thing for him to, you know, speed the person. Like, I wish they had framed it differently. Like, I'm fine for him to be the person that stays behind to blow up the island so that the evil monster, but I wish that it had been, like, framed as a punishment. Like, you're an asshole. No, you should be the one to stay here and do that. Not the, you know, not the main character or, or you know, whoever else, because, you know, this is your fault. You should own up to it. Like, the fact that he's, you know, celebrated at the end is kind of, you know, yeah, icky. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Uh, you know what I think would have worked from a storytelling perspective? And they probably didn't do this because the game is still trying to be kind of PG. I think he should have killed the Count and his wife and children in cold blood. Because to me, that's kind of more of an eye for an eye view of revenge. You know, you killed my family. Now I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill the people who are dear to you. And I think that that's, that's like more, it's more obviously like personal and irredeemable than in the way that it's casually brushed off that he murders all of these, you know, side characters, the maids and soldiers. It's like super brushed off. Like I actually forgot about it until you brought it up just then. Like, like yeah. um, yeah, it's brushed. It's off. like because what happens is he goes to kill the count, and then Alina says, "You can't do that. That'll make you evil." But like, he's already <laughs> evil. Have you just forgotten about exactly? Yeah. So if they had not done the whole castle thing, I think the plot's a lot better. Um, I still don't think it's good. Uh, I think that Chester's the only potentially interesting character in the whole story, and they don't do a great job of it. Yeah, it's worth noting that Alina also as a character is defined entirely by her relationship with Chester. Every line of dialogue she has is about, oh, Chester, I need Chester. I can't believe what you've done, Chester. I'm going to sacrifice myself for Chester. She doesn't have a character or a personality outside of Oh, my brother. Which, you know, I mean, it's just shitty writing, but it's also shitty from a feminist perspective. I mean, this is the main female character in the game, and she's basically non-existent. She's a vapid void, and she's there to look pretty, and she's there to be taken prisoner. So, yeah, I, I, I don't like this story at all. It doesn't have the fundamental structural problems of Luna or Crystallis because it's it's a I, I, I would say it's a tighter and more focused story so it doesn't have these gaping holes in it but it is actively bad and you have to just the, the story is not a reason to play uh to play East it just it just is not I found myself, like, able to be immersed with the story a bit during, there were these segments in the town where you kind of did these, like, mini side quests with the townsfolk, like, there was this one where you played hide and seek with this little girl and she hid these, you know, this ore around the town and it was reasonably well hidden sometimes. Um, and there was this like little subplot with this, you know, this old woman who'd lost, you know, a child uh, or a grandson. And those were like nice moments. Those were okay. There's nothing wrong with them, right? They're like, they're, they're, they're fine. fine. They were better than anything in the main story. 
Um, and like they're really the only like time I like felt like I liked the characters. Like I liked the little little arc with the old lady. I thought that was okay. I also think that the voice acting was pretty good on the whole. I uh, I think there was some really bad voice acting, particularly with the bosses. The one with the three harpies, I was like, this is not what they sound <laughs> like. Are you kidding me? That was really... But but I think most of the characters... I thought Chester's voice actor was good. How he... I mean, he hammed it up yeah. a lot. But I uh, loved the mayor, but apart dude. From that, <laughs> the mayor was so good. <laughs> he was so over the top. Yeah, it's hammy and cheesy, but it's not like... I, I kind of, given given the nature of the story, I thought it was, you know, decent to good on the yeah. whole. Uh, yeah, I thought it was so, good. So that, that, that like, the cutscenes were, there was nothing wrong with the cutscenes and the story beats from a structural point of view or from, like, a moment to moment, this is a problem. It was just so uninspired Yeah, and, like, and the whole, like, go over the island and collect the four statue things, that just works from a gameplay point of view, right? Like, you yeah. want to spread... Exactly. Like, the levels are segmented, you know, you can't get around that. You kind of have to write a story that has these four gimmicky things that you go and find. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with, you know, having an ancient evil that is a cool boss at the end of the game. I'm I'm fine with having all of these, like, bosses, you know, shoved into the story just, you know, for the sake of having boss fights. That's all fine. But the characters were just so uninteresting. Um... There was one thing I actually liked. I liked that Dogie, um, your companion in the game, like he never was really with you, but you got this sense that he wasn't useless because I always get this feeling in these fantasy RPGs that like they kind of like to fillet the main character as being like this you know, amazing hero that's the best thing ever and nobody else can ever do anything. Um, There was this time in the story where Dogie found one of the magic bracelets for you um and you know all like busted you out of the rock um i thought that was fine and i liked the fact that you were uh an adventurer already like you were coming to this island having you know some experience you weren't just some kid from some town whose town got invaded by monsters and you're the hero it made sense for the main character to be the one that people asked to help them because he was already a proficient swordsman going into the story yeah i'm i'm not i'm not sold on the adventurer as a character sort of thing and everyone saying hey by the way can you do this other dangerous thing and do this until and then you come back to town they're like hey by the way can you do this other dangerous I mean, who thing? else is gonna do I it think, someone has to do it yeah i i don't know from a storytelling perspective i just think the concept of an adventurer is a little it's pretty is a little silly it's pretty yeah cool. i mean and listen it's it's a game that's that's not a major major criticism like you a lot of these video games you're just one guy fighting a bunch of monsters sure like that's that's something that you have to accept as a as part of the game so i don't want to i don't want to you know harp on that but uh i wouldn't say it's an asset to the storytelling i'd just say it's a necessary feature of how these stories are told i like you didn't really enjoy you know the story that much i found it immersive enough but something that i was kind of glad was that like the like the platform like the the moment to moment gameplay bits um most of the story was pretty short like when you start the game you get into your first fight pretty quickly and then there is quite a tedious bit before you get to play the game again 
but for the most part, you weren't spending like hours in these cutscenes reading uninteresting dialogue. You could get through them, you know, pretty fast. Yeah, it's it's bad. I found it fairly offensive at times, and I was so mad I was yelling at my screen. But it wasn't too long before I get got to return to the good part of the game. Yeah, so, it wasn't super detrimental yeah. in my opinion. Like it's just kind of there. It, me too. I I wouldn't as much as I hated it. It didn't adversely affect my experience in the same way the story of Luna did. So uh, this sounds like we're moving on to final impressions. I've got a I've got a I've got a good idea of where this he- is heading, Patrick. But uh, go on, tell us how you feel about East Oath and Felgana. So this is a game that overall I'm happy to say I can recommend. I I enjoyed my time I spent with it. So I think that the story is garbage, as I just spoke about. I think that a lot of the time you spend in dungeons is kind of a little uninspired and bland. But I think importantly, the bad parts of this game or the parts of the game that I didn't really enjoy don't drag it down. A a lot of the times when we review these games, you've got good parts and bad parts, and the bad parts are so painful that it's not worth suffering through for the good parts. In this game, the bad parts or the parts I didn't enjoy, are you can kind of sail through them pretty easily to get to the enjoyable part of the game, which is the brilliant and really fun boss fights. So... I can I can recommend this game. I think it's a really fun game, um, even if it's kind of medium in a lot of areas, because the medium parts don't hold you pack, back, and the good parts are really fun, enjoyable, and substantial. So I recommend this game. If you like action RPGs, I think there's a lot to live, like here. And I think even for people who aren't super into the genre, there's still a lot to love here. This is a good introduction to... Uh, some tough boss fights that have an easy escape through grinding if you're finding them through challenging, if you're finding them too challenging. Uh, Unlike the kind of, in some ways, insurmountable boss fights of a game like Fury or Dark Souls, which for a lot of people are too tough. So yeah, check it out. Good game. And uh, if this is as bad as JRPGs get, then I'm going to be a very happy camper. Yeah, I mostly agree with Patrick. I think that there are some, you know, this game is split 50-50 between, you know, mediocre parts and brilliant parts. So to me, you know, on average, this ends up being a pretty good game. Like I, you know, I enjoyed the, you know, the levels a lot more than Patrick did just because Adol is really fun to control. Um, and I think that the boss fights are brilliant, most of them anyway, um, with, you know, the worst boss in the whole game just being mediocre. So I think that Oath and Felgana is an easy recommend for me. The music track, uh, the music score is absolutely phenomenal too. So, you know, most of the time when you're playing these awesome bosses, you're listening to awesome music at the same time and not getting bored of it because it's so good. So overall, you know, I think it's a really good experience. I think that anybody who likes action RPGs would probably like this game. It's, you know, you can get this game for a steal. I got this for like $2 Australian on Steam on um so you know easy recommend from me yeah so uh that about wraps it up i'd like to give a big thank you to all of our listeners particularly since you've had to wait an extra week for this episode 
I we didn't mention at the start, but James had uh, had the flu pretty bad. He he lost his voice, so uh, it was either delayed a week or be forced to listen to me talk all on my lonesome, a la Tony Hawks. And we uh, we decided it was best to wait a week and have a proper episode. So thank you for your patience, and thank you for listening to us talk about yeast. Uh, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to all of our episodes, all 64 of them now, and that number is going to keep growing. Uh, You can listen to us anywhere you listen to a podcast, and we've got our RSS feed link there. We've also got a bunch of articles that James and I have written about old games and new. I'm currently working on an article for the Resident Evil remake, which was one of the best games I've played for this podcast, so much so that I wanted to get my thoughts across in writing, so keep an eye out for that. So uh, that was that's about it for this week. Uh, so James, I I get to choose the game for this coming week, and I'm picking a short one because uh, we've only got a week to play it. And the game that I have selected is Mega Man Two. James, when um when we first did Mega Man Battle Network back in episode ten. Uh, I was very surprised because I had never heard of the Battle Network games before, and this is the Mega Man I thought you were talking about. Are you are you coming around to my way of thinking that this is the main Mega Man franchise, and uh, the weird Battle Network one is the spin-off one that no one's ever I heard like of? I like that every time we bring this up, someone's like, I know Battle Network, and you're like, what? That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, yeah. Mega Man original, I've actually played like one level of Mega Man 2 previously I think um and it's a game oh. I wanted to do for the show um just never gotten around to it so I'm kind of excited uh I think it'll be an interesting one uh there it's got some like non-linear you know progression through the game you can get through it multiple ways I believe so it'll be interesting to talk about you know which way we've got through the game now I'm looking forward to hearing the music because I've actually just I realized that I've heard a lot of Mega Man 2's music just in little clips over the years. So I'm keen to uh to see it in its natural environment because I suspect I'm gonna be very high on it. I also just like Mega Man's aesthetic. I think it's really funny cartoony bosses. Like I I think they've like got it down to an art form, although maybe in two is a bit a bit early still, but I think uh you know, modern day Mega Man's d- art design is really something special and I love it a lot. So I'm um, looking forward to going back for Mega Man 2. Yeah, so thank you once again for everyone's patience and we'll see you in one week, not a fortnight. We'll see you in one week for Mega Man 2. See you then, guys. Bye.